Welcome to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. In this episode, Matan Mishan and Roy Rezon join me to talk about internal developer platforms and their tools, Previ and Lifecycle. My co-host, Normal Mehta, is off this week, so after a quick chat on what an internal developer platform even is, Mishan and Roy and I discuss the various ways we get delayed in pull requests due to the review and feedback process that our teams often have. Lifecycle has a set of tools that focus on shortening that feedback loop in Docker Desktop as an extension, in a local CLI with Previ, and in your automated CI workflows. Tools for providing automated preview environments was definitely a theme on this show in 2023. And I like how Lifecycle provides me multiple locations and ways to get access to people in the preview environments. It really lets you just fit the different parts of the tool into your workflow as opposed to one way to do everything. It's great for getting feedback quickly during the PR process rather than making people set up their own environments to test your changes. And I like their ideas around how the feedback loops can be improved. This is an edited version of our weekly live show that you can join live and chat with us on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at brett.live. So please enjoy this episode with Roy and Matan of Lifecycle. Roy and Matan, hello. Welcome. Hi. Hello, Brett. Thank you for having us. I wanted to talk about the topic and the, the, what is an internal developer platform. Sometimes we as an industry have to figure out what something means as we keep using the term and we have to learn what it means as we're all calling it. We, this happened with DevOps and GitOps and DevSecOps. These terms come up, MLOps, and we don't, I don't know, people use them and I don't necessarily know what that means, what is or isn't. Matan, I'm going to start with you. Like internal developer platform, what does that mean to you? So mind the buzzword and the trends nowadays. I mean, honestly, as you said, you know, you always have a new trend or Gartner is releasing a new trend cycle or a hyper cycle. What you want to do is just to nurture developer experience and you understand the developers are your internal customers. So you need to take care of them like you take care of your customers, right? You don't, you want, don't want to have any churn of your uh, customers or you want to renew them. The same thing goes with your internal developers in your company. So. IDP, internal developer portal, platform, whatever you want to call it, you just want to make sure they have a self-service solution that allows them to enjoy what they're doing. And we keep talking about flow mode or being in the context, no context, which is, and, and you know developers, and I'm sure the audience here is, you know, savvy developers. You just want to have your ability to share your work instantly with no hurdles, without even speaking to a platform engineer or a DevOps engineer and make sure you get the feedback that you need. So a platform is something that should utilize your developers internally to, to be excited about working in this company. This is how we believe in Lifecycle. We can even nurture this uh, vision. Yeah. Roy, anything to add to that? Yeah, I think, you know, putting buzzwords aside, I think from my experience as a developer, there's nothing worse than working on the feature for two weeks, being, you know, in the zone of the feature, and then pushing it into some pull requests, getting reviews, and then having it, you know, put into staging, and then finally into production, and then the CEO calls you and says, you remember that feature? It's, I want to change something there. And they only see it after it got to production or to staging, and you're in the middle of something else two weeks later. So you have to roll back everything, the whole context, and I experienced this too many times and actually in a previous company that I worked for, I developed something 
just like Lifecycle does. So well, when I saw that they actually do that, I got really excited because it's something that I think every developer or every development team uh, needs, and that is a tool to narrow the review gap. Right now, you get reviews almost instantly from, instantly from your fellow developers. Basically, you open a pull request and they see the code, they give comments, uh, you get um, you know, excited, sometimes uh, fights <laughs> uh, come up there regarding uh, spacing and uh, naming and stuff like that. I naming is hard. Levels. Yeah, <laughs> naming is the hardest. Yeah. And caching is the second place. Yes, uh, <laughs> DNS. Um, yeah. so, so you get the, the reviews from your fellow developers pretty, pretty quickly, but what about the designers, the product people, the, the other stakeholders in the, in the feature that you're developing? Usually that takes longer. And I think Lifecycle developed a tool in order to get uh, those um, stakeholders into the review cycle immediately. And I think essentially, if you want to boil it down to one sentence, it's, it, that's what we do. Yeah, I feel like when I look at, around at tooling and I try to understand the definition, I mean, we're, I still feel like when we talk about if we're going to yeah. acronym this thing and call it IDPs, which you also can't, it's overloaded acronym on the internet, so you can't just search mm -hmm. that internet, that turns identity providers is another you know use yeah. of that term so there's even if you try to be in tech that sometimes that that acronym doesn't work and uh, i'm since i'm such an implementer i often think of how does this terminology turn into tools and it might be that's actually the wrong answer I, we had this similar problem in devops I, I think the analogy i would give here is people when they're wanting to learn devops they often focus on tooling and a lot of us that have been around a long time since the origin of the term know that really tooling was kind of the outpouring of the attitudes and the approaches and the mindsets and the culture and n not the first thing you should be learning. But nowadays, when you go look up courses, if you try to find like intro to DevOps, it tends to gloss over all the reasons, all the background and just focus on tooling, which I find to be troublesome. People don't understand why they need those tools or how to use them. So. I feel like we're kind of in that sort of nebulous area with IDPs and, you know, it takes teams that are entire and completely focusing on it, I think, to come out of it with, here's the th useful things we have. And I know that I learned about you two through the Docker extension announcement. So what's going on there with the Docker desktop? Basically, Lifecycle gives you a tool to create preview environments. And that means two things, basically. We take your local build, your local development environment, and we put it where it's accessible on the cloud. So when you close the laptop or uh, the machine you're working on, it's still there and people can access it remotely. And the, the remote thing is the, the second thing that we do. We give you um, basically what is sometimes called an ingress or remote access to your app, which is secure. And um, it's available across the internet. Uh, we also allow you to block it for a security via a login page if you want. So the Docker extension part is just focusing on the second part. I mean, it allows you to do local development and get that URL on the internet. As long as your computer is on and your process is running, you can share URL that you get with the with other people and then get instant feedback. And the other part of what we do, which is the first part is bringing it into the cloud, deploying to the cloud. So the Docker extension right now, it includes the ingress part and it will also include the, the other part in the uh, next version. I mean, it could be used to click and launch uh, your application in the cloud. Where do we deploy it? 
we're a tool. We're not a hosting provider, so you don't have to like open an account. You just need to download. It's an open source tool. If I didn't say that, and you we use your choice of cloud provider. So your own cloud provider, whether it's AWS or Google Cloud or Azure or any Kubernetes cluster that you have access to, including the managed clusters from the providers or your own cluster, we can deploy into that. So that's basically what we do. And the Docker extension, it gives you like a really quick insight into the experience. And if you like it, we encourage you to go and build your CI pipeline with it with Privy and the lifecycle tools and get your own Privy environment in order to have quick feedback from all the stakeholders, like I said. I was going to say, this is for web traffic only, right? This isn't for giving someone access to my SQL database remotely. This is for HTTP mm. yeah, protocol? Yeah, it, it, it does ingress for HTTPS. We do have plans in the roadmap to do anything, any TCP connection. Basically. Okay, nice. Yeah, because this mentions, it mentions in the extension, because I didn't know about Privy before, and I learned about Preview through the extension. So, and you mentioned that a couple of times, Preview is the open source CLI. Is that more or less the CLI equivalent of the Docker extension? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, basically the extension packages the CLI inside it and gives you a nice UI for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. We've, <laughs> I've lost count of how many Docker extension conversations we've had on this show. They're not that old. And when they were first in, but I think before they were even alpha, Docker approached the captains and asked us what we thought good extensions would be. And we sucked. Like we only came up with one or two and they weren't, we were, it was mostly uh, maybe a VPN, maybe, uh, I mean, I, we didn't really understand what extension could do. And now we have stuff like this. We have stuff like setting up an open shift cluster inside Docker, which I didn't even know I wanted to do, but okay. Yeah. That's the portainer is in there for managing local clusters inside a Docker desktop. So for those of you out there, I think this is like the hundredth time this year, but we're going to say it again. Docker extensions are pretty easy and pretty awesome. You just click and install them. They, you know, they're almost as easy as an iPhone app to get running. And I really enjoy them way more than I thought I would. I thought it would be sort of a neat utility on the side, but I'm actually finding, and maybe with tools like this, that I'm just sort of avoiding the CLI a little bit. And it leaves, leaves I don't have to remember every single tools command line format I can just have the CLI for when I need it, but primarily doing a lot of this stuff that really, this is, to me is one of these tools where I, I probably wouldn't remember the CLI because it's going to be in a separate window and it's probably going to be wrapped in a script and I don't have to do any of that because now I can just have it in an extension. So awesome. And so these are both open source, right? Like both of these tools, the preview and the Docker extension, those are free, doesn't require any lifecycle. It's not open source. The extension is not open source, yes, but, but oh, okay. it's basically just a, a UI uh, that wraps up the, the CLI. So there's not, no real content or no real interesting stuff there. If you're interested in how Preview works, then the, the Preview CLI is uh, open source and uh, we accept contributions and, uh, yeah. and uh, daily PRs, basically. Nice. All right. So if I'm someone who has a, a sloppy automation solution, let's, I'm trying to think of my typical average. There is no typical or average, but if I'm an engineer that's, I'm in a team, let's say I have 10 engineers and we are, we are sort of doing this old school, right? We've got containers, but mm -hmm. we're waiting till the PR process. We might have our builds automated, but if we want to do any previewing, we have to do it locally. 
you know, our feedback loops are not within in the tools that we use. And it's just sort of a, they're probably using Jenkins. They're, you know, probably not everyone has access to the Jenkins portal. Everybody loves Jenkins. You, know. you yeah. don't want to work in this team, do you? <laughs> I, I would say that's like um, a, a typical theme that you uh, describe, but I think the world is moving towards uh, a more uh, democratized version of DevOps. If you look at GitHub Action, that's basically taking um, a developer and uh, making him someone who was once like had a DevOps title. And if we remember where the DevOps term started, it's, it's basically developers who are also doing ops. It's not just ops people, right? And uh, so uh, I think we're right into this, this trend because we don't target like DevOps people or even DevX uh, teams. We target developers. If you're a developer and you have a Docker Compose application or a container application you can easily package into Docker Compose, which is most application these days, then you can create a, a development environment from that. And we can take that development environment, which you can use daily to develop, we can take that and put it in the cloud with almost zero effort. And if you also happen to know GitHub Actions, which again was a major democratizing factor, as I see it, for uh, creating CI pipelines for the non-ops people, Right. Uh, so if you happen to know some uh, of the GitHub Actions uh, secrets, then you can easily take one of our examples and build a CI pipeline. And you don't have, you know, you don't have to have any like permissions or get authorization, especially because most developers right now, they have permission to basic permission to a Kubernetes cluster that they deploy to, uh, maybe use it locally, maybe use it on uh, some kind of staging environment. And uh, probably can also uh, start machines on their cloud providers. And we uh, pr provide both, we, we support both of these approaches. So if you have permissions for a cloud provider and you have a development environment, then you can start closing the review gap by creating preview environments in your CI right now. I mean, even if you do have Jenkins in your team, as a developer, I had a few experiences setting up GitHub Actions as like a side trail, a side way, a back way into DevOps. And that went really well because it's not like the DevOps people, they don't allow this. They don't want you to do this. It's just that they don't have time and, and Jenkins is like really complicated and you can't get into that. Doing something like GitHub Actions or GitLab Actions, it's not just GitHub, it's all those pipelines. CircleCI was one of the first uh, that I used. Gets you as a developer some a leeway into this uh, road. And I think that's what we're targeting and that's what uh, makes us honestly different uh, from other IDP, quote unquote, uh, uh, providers. Basically, I, I don't think we really provide like an, a classic IDP. Uh, we're just focusing on the feedback loop. Yeah, and I like that this has similar themes to the Dagger show we had a few weeks ago around they want CI to be run anywhere and sort of to democratize CI. And I feel like a little bit where, you know, in a team where we're all get to choose our own editors and get to choose our own tooling and we get to choose our own OS and browser that that on our local developer machines, forcing people to have one way to provide feedback or one way to share work, you know, the only thing that maybe some teams use is VS Code sharing or they have to wait to CI to get a, a preview environment or something like that. I like the idea of a tool that allows me all of those. <laughs> 
like allows me to do it on ad hoc from my local machine. If I happen to be on a server or if I don't even have a Docker desktop GUI, I can still do it. I can do it in CI automatically in the GitHub PR. You can automatically get links, stuff like that. What this actionable feedback from the team thing, that's to me an extra layer of functionality. Does that work when I'm even on my local machine and I'm sharing it out? How does that work? So, so we have a few flavors. One of them is by combining your environment with an SDK. One of them will be released with the local environment as well. But it's a good point, Brett, because we want to be mindful for all stakeholders. And we're seeing our customers using it for demos. We're seeing our customers using it for design reviews, product reviews. And as a developer, you don't really have the time or the CPU or GPU to understand what they want from you. You're just in your context. So we are making it simple for you to get this feedback as simple as possible from other stakeholders. Um, so this additional layer, which could come as an SDK or a widget within the environment, really allows you to get super juicy feedback uh, yeah. to where you work. Maybe it's worth uh, yeah. mentioning the history of the product as we developed it. When I joined uh, Lifecycle, we had... Uh, a bit of a different vision. Uh, we wanted to do the entire CI pipeline for you. So basically we were hosting the build on our servers yeah. and it turned out that this is like a, a much more a complex problem uh, and uh, hard to sell for people because companies have uh, very strict requirements on um, what happens on their build machines. So. Uh, we had this build pipeline and we also had this um, collaboration layer on top of it. So once you built your application using our pipeline, you got to have this environment, which is like a, a frame around your website, which allows you to comment and edit and record screenshots and video and send this uh, to um, uh, your teammates or other stakeholders and get uh, basically get uh, a whole collaboration layer on top of that. And once we uh, realized that uh, hosting the builds on our platform is is quite hard, we wanted to do like a, we we made like a test balloon, or so uh, <laughs> we we made this open source tool, which at the beginning was very simple, which took Compose application, Docker Compose application, and put it on AWS LightSail, which was like a cheap VM that AWS provides. And it turned out that this was like a very useful thing for our client because now we're not building, we're not providing the, the pipeline. You're doing the build like you did on your local machine, but on a remote VM, which is also available when you shut your development machine down. And then we got, you know, this tool got a bit more complex as we did, but basically it does the same thing right now. So it takes your Docker Compose application and deploys it to a VM or a Kubernetes cluster and provides the connectivity, the remote access or ingress. And right now we're in the process of combining the collaboration layer that we had in the uh, old pipeline, in the CI pipeline, into this tool. So you will basically have uh, a widget injected by our tunnel server. We'll, I think we'll have a, a few minutes to discuss that later. It's part of the architecture that we use which will render the collaboration layer on top of your uh, website. And what is the collaboration layer? It will allow you to post uh, comments, uh, to make suggestions, to record video, the same things that we had in the previous. Right now, in order to use the collaboration layer, you, you have to externally add 
the version one SDK, version one is the product that we had before, into your website, and then it renders together with the, the frame that we had. So right now, it's yeah. like two tools you have to combine in order to get the whole solution. But we're working on combining them together based on nice. the experience that we had. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's a similar story to a lot of tools that have been on this show the last couple of years as we're all starting to figure out the middle as we talk about the, I don't know what else to call it, the middle, the automations, all the automations, all the robots. And we're, you know, I'm, as someone who's helping a lot of people and a lot of companies, I'm always trying to figure out, okay, we've got the container layer standardized. We've, we've, we actually have an image format that we can all agree on. You know, our runtime is actually consistent. And this middle part, I mean, I love the, the GitOps movement because I feel like that standardizes deployments for production. Obviously, this isn't dealing with that necessarily, but I'm always interested when we can get behaviors that I can walk from one company to the next company. I can see very similar behaviors and the ability for teams to be able to have stuff locally or have it on a remote worker, you know, code, not co-pilot, but co-spaces and other VS code in a browser or remote servers that we're all using. I, I, every team I walk into, it's a complete random, like just take one of a hundred things on the internet and throw them yeah. into a random pile. And that's what the teams are doing. Right. So anytime we can come up with sort of a, a consistent approach or just to be flexible enough that says, Hey, you, you know, when it, you want to do this in a PR, fine. If you don't do it locally with your local tools, we don't care. I, I really like that. Uh, I also like that we have both. I think one of the challenges too is if you're not getting collaborative feedback, I know as a PR reviewer, it's like a confession on the internet. As a PR <laughs> reviewer, I don't always actually set up previews of your changes and test them myself, right? And not all of us are doing great at testing. Like there's lots of teams that I work with that are still at 10 or 20% test. Let coverage. me ask you, let yeah. me ask you, have you ever met someone who reviewed a PR and actually ran it on their local machine? Is that, does this person exist? Maybe on the comments, yes. people can, <laughs> can share yes. their and stories. I, but it only happens <laughs> in really large public open source projects <laughs> where like your reputation on approving the PR is in order. Like it happens, but you're right. If it's like a, a whole system that you have to like um, deploy, right? You yeah. have to compile the whole system. You have to see the database, whatever. I think that's too much of a fuss. It's it's better to use yeah. someone else's environment, which is already set up. For sure. That. And you're, I was going to say, and you could probably correlate the amount of effort it takes to actually see a preview of that for the reviewers is inversely proportional to how well they review that PR. So, or maybe it's not <laughs> no. inversely. It's so, proportional. Yeah, it's, it's proportional. So I, <laughs> I see teams where they are doing preview setups and they're automatically spinning up previews and PRs or they make it sort of a one or two clicks away for everyone. Maybe they're really, really good. I mean, this is rare too. Like maybe they're really, really good at Docker Compose and it's easy for me to run a different branch locally with tooling. But this is usually bespoke tooling that the team has set up where they have to out, you know, check out a different branch and they even just doing that is sometimes too much work for a lot of PR reviewers. So yeah, you're right. It's gotta be, it's gotta be easy enough that I barely have to lift a finger. I have to make a couple of clicks. Yeah. And if I have to wait, if I have to wait 10 minutes for things to spin up, then I'm probably not, I'm probably not doing it. Yeah. Or it has I'm to be easy, cheap, and simple for you to share your feedback. Otherwise you just won't do it or you'll be either too lazy or just, you know, too in the middle of doing something else. So yeah. simplicity and developer experience is prominent for, you know, adopting such a tool within your company. Yeah. All right, this is cool. So we've set the stage for 
what Lifecycle is trying to do and what problems we're trying to solve. Hey, listeners, in this edited version of the show, we've removed the demos. So if you want to check those out, check the description for links to the original live stream. Now back to the show. I love that you're using environments, by the way, like that. I feel like there's a whole episode somewhere in my future where we talk about GitHub environments and how it's it's kind of like an unknown or what not well used feature for various things. It doesn't solve every problem, but that is pretty slick that I can see in I can go to the GitHub repo and I can see the current environments available. Whereas one of the challenges we all I think have as a developer is you there are other we're gonna call it stakeholders. The I put the emojis in stakeholding. I don't know how to meet holding <laughs> the stakeholders involved or whatever, the people that care about that PR, there are other adjacent people that maybe are not aware of the current PR activities going on. And I've been in teams where we had maybe people on the sales or support side of our software that were semi-aware of what was going on. And we were trying to train them to go into GitHub, which they're not used to being in, right? It's not necessarily their tool. And looking at PRs or looking or tracking bugs or issues that, you know, that were maybe in Jira or some other system. But it's all, we've always been challenged by that because once they have to click 10 levels deep in GitHub, like mm-hmm. they're, it's, they're done, right? Uh, so GitHub doesn't really do a great job of bringing things to the forefront of what matters uh, inside of a repo. And so you using the environments like that um, is a rare, I think it's a pretty rare occurrence, but that's pretty slick. Yeah, it's, it kind of goes against, I think, the model that GitHub really wanted to offer with environment because basically, I think what other tools like Vercel do, they create a single environment called Preview, mm-hmm. which encompasses all the PRs, but the UX to actually get to the link that you need for that specific PR is very cumbersome. I, 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 never, right. I never find it myself. And also the funny thing is that each PR by default, if you don't actually do the uh, API calls by yourself, each PR overrides the last active uh, right. deployment for that environment. So you can't have multiple uh, PRs uh, running concurrently, yeah. which is weird, unless you use the API to say that, oh, no, that's not overriding. That's like, <laughs> that you have, <laughs> have to have your provider. And also about other stakeholders not using GitHub, we noticed that. And that's why we added so many features to the collaboration layer too. So Slack is one option, and I think that's obvious. You can connect like a Slack channel specifically for that BI, right. PR. And, and uh, I like having, I like the idea of having dynamic Slack channels. Usually you have like general and product announcements and right. stuff like that. You, you don't have yeah, like, there's like one announcement channel that everyone's supposed to pay attention to, but there's a lot of traffic there. There's no like dynamic channels, like uh, channel for PR one, two, three. Uh, I've never seen that, but you can probably do it and enjoy it. And the other thing is that we connected like issue management tools like Jira, which I personally think is the root of all evil and, and linear. <laughs> Not a, you're not uh, going to get a lot of fans around here. Sorry. Like, uh, I have to use it, but only because I have to use it. I've never I, actually I deployed no one, Jira. <laughs> no one enjoys using it except the guy that yeah. runs the, the reports, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the one that that's their job, like their yeah. reputation is based on the productivity in Jira. Yeah. There's that, always that one person, but. Yeah. But, um, but those stakeholders, they're, they're always, uh, I mean, the designers and, and the product managers are always inside those, uh, those tools and, and they're there. And that's why we have those integrations. So, okay. I'm thinking of, I've got two things to follow up with. One is 
like first steps for people. And then the second thing is for us to talk about what's next, because we've mentioned a lot of things that are coming. So I want to make sure people know how to get started and what they can get started with today and then what to look forward to in 2024, unless you're about to drop like a New Year's Eve feature set or something, a surprise. I'm getting all these emails from companies now. They're like, that's our last update of 2023. Like everybody's sort of just saying, we're, we ain't doing nothing for half a month. Go get ahead. started. You just need to, you know, either try it out via the CLI or the extension. If you have Docker desktop, I think that the extension is like super compelling to try it out and gain some trust with what we're offering. And as Ray mentioned beforehand, we're just adding more and more of the abilities in the extension UI to correspond to the previous CLI offering. But going next, I think that the most interesting part is how can we boost your experience as a developer? So we're thinking about mimicking some things around the environment, creating something more robust. I will disclose more once we'll have something ready to share with the, the audience, but think of how can you really replace a lot of the things that you stuck with as a developer within the environment itself. Could be around design, could be around demos, and could be around debugging with your uh, developers. So I believe there's a lot uh, of things to look forward in the future. I can mention another feature we are thinking about, and, and it's like another balloon that we want to uh, inflate and see uh, where it goes. And that's the ingress feature. So Privy is an agent that runs inside your whatever environment you have. It could, it's just a container. And basically, it provides the ingress or the remote access. And if you already have a preview environment, which some of our customers do, one of the challenges that you have is how to provide secure and public uh, internet access uh, or internet right. access in your company to those environments. And that's a lot of headache usually. So with the uh, open source offering, we have those two components right now, which are inside. They're part of the previous CLI. One is the tunnel server, which is something that you can host yourself. We're hosting lifecycle.run as our tunnel server. And the other one is the agent that runs inside the system. It runs right now inside those Compose containers, alongside, sorry, those Compose containers, but it can also run in a Kubernetes cluster or whenever, wherever you have access to. And once it, it knows how to get inside those services because it runs inside your network, it can provide this ingress service, which is, I think, something that is interesting to try and we'll test it out and see if there is any demand for this component as a standalone offering. Is that something that gives me like a captive portal for logging in before I see whatever web services? Exactly. I'm into the it can give yeah. you it can give you authentication services. It can give you like secure access. You can deploy it inside your VPC if you have one, or inside your intranet, and and only allow access from that internal network. So right. so yeah, that's something that. And also uh, right now it requires login to our SaaS site, but it can work basically with any IDP provide IDP the overloaded term. <laughs> with any open open a open id connect provider so you can configure that as well yeah I, I think one thing that i've experienced the last couple of years as teams have started to ratchet down on security you know we get we end up with a single sign on uh, something on github right and so there's the combination of us wanting to lock things down but also we're all working remotely and we're less at sitting at our computer or at least in our office and so I found myself on projects where we were locking things down, like trying to lock down GitHub, doing all sorts of stuff with that. We, we were even doing like IP subnet limiting on GitHub.com and all this stuff. And you had to be on a VPN to get into certain things. But then I want to use the GitHub app to preview, to review the PR. And so I go into the app and maybe it, it, it has to authenticate me certain ways and maybe there's stumbling blocks. But 
if I'm able to click links in there and then whether it's a lifecycle login or it automatically goes through GitHub auth, like that seems like uh, a much smoother path that I can actually preview something really quick on mobile. Maybe I just need to verify that something exists or that something is looking up, you know, that page has something on it that I'm looking for. It's not something, it's something that I can do for my browser on my mobile phone. And mm -hmm. I kept running into, especially with larger teams, challenges with, you know, you've got the GitHub app, you've got the Jira app, you've got all these apps logged in on your phone and you can get only so far in the P PR review process. <laughs> and then you hit this roadblock of like, oh, these are things that I can only get to from a VPN that I don't have on my phone or a shell. Mm -hmm. I need a shell to see, to launch this thing or do this thing. And as more of the stuff that we can get into that GitHub or at least having it one click away is I think a, a real win there for teams that require a large amount of reviewers or more than one. And you mm -hmm. don't, it ends up taking a day every time you need a review on a PR because of people's time zones. And it just kind of gets a little crazy. So I, when the teams that I'm working with, that's the kind of thing I think we're looking at is we're trying to figure out how if everyone's working asynchronously, how can anyone review PRs from wherever they are on their mobile devices? Because otherwise they may be done for the day and the next, and it's gonna be 24 hours before you can get that reviewed. Yeah. Uh, especially if you ramp right. up the PR process because the teams that are doing all this stuff are also, they're trying to break out more microservices. They're doing more PRs and more repos. And so there ends up being a lot more of that work that it it's like we all, it's like all my instant messages that I used to send to people about work is now turning into PR reviews that I have to do in the middle of like mm -hmm. at 10 p.m. or before work starts. So that's actually anything, anytime you're going to give me, next time we're going to do a demo on the phone and I don't mm -hmm. want you to do use, use anything else other than your phone. And I want you to review a pro PR. I want you to show me the web interface and then that's running on Kubernetes. And then we did our job during our lunch hour and nobody knew it. Yeah, nobody knew basically it, it works this way now. If you're, yeah. you just get a page that gives you a login and you log in via GitHub or via Google Cloud or via email, and that's it. And you can invite people into your team. So only people on your team can actually access the environments that you create. Yeah, very cool. And the ingress stuff is getting more popular is that even that mm -hmm. term wasn't always a developer term. And so mm, it, right. I feel like it's only really the last five or so years with the rise of Kubernetes that we're all thinking of ingress. I mean, it used to be just the, the realm of network admins, and then it was cloud operators, and now it's finally something that developers can mm -hmm. get a handle on, and that's really cool. Okay, so to get started, they can go to Lifecycle, they can go to, they can look up Preview if that's something they're looking at. You can look up the Docker extension on Docker Desktop if you want to get started that way. There, there's like mm -hmm. multiple entry points here. And on the documentation the site, there's like lots of uh, guides on how to work locally and then add it to your CI. Yeah. Nice. So... Basically, I can run it just about anywhere. I can, it's sort of firewall friendly-ish for most of us. <laughs> and yeah, there's always those, there's always those environments where they're like, no, you know, our Kubernetes clusters don't have access to the internet, you know, or whatever. So without going through some proxy that gets in the way. For those of you, I apologize for all the proxies in the world. Like, you know, we invented that decades ago and it's still a pain in the butt. If you can access the HTTPS, I mean, from your uh, Kubernetes cluster, then you can connect to the tile server and you can also deploy the tile server inside your network. So I think that's yeah. also a viable option if you have this sort of uh, network architecture. Yeah, I definitely feel like um, whenever I get to a team now that if I'm if they're onboarding me to try to help them, I don't know, evolve their container infrastructure or whatever, uh, usually one of my checkboxes or the, maybe that red flag is when I don't see 
not just automated builds, because I think where a lot of us are getting to that point where teams are used to that automated container builds, maybe automated container-based t- testing a little bit, at least in their CI. But the the preview environments is something where I feel like we're not quite at the everyone's doing it by default. People are aware that this is a thing, but I think we're still in the education phase of reali- people realizing, oh, there's, there's these tools out there that actually make this you know super easy, remove a lot of the complexity and allow you the flexibility based on, you know, do you have re- requirements for running this in your own infrastructure? Would you rather just SAS it out? And having, you know, local tools, remote tools, all that stuff all in the same toolkit, I think is a really, yeah. it's like a necessary thing. I think we're at this point. Yeah. So this is awesome. All right. So this has been great. Thank you so much for being here. There's a YouTube channel for Lifecycle, right? And then, mm-hmm. I mean, you're all over the place. I see you on Twitter, X. I see you on YouTube. So if you have more questions, I'm sure there's some stuff there. You can go to their website. You can look in the docs. You can look at preview. You can talk to Docker Extension. So figure out how to put some automated CI for automated testing and automated previews. Like we all just should have that for <laughs> everything that's at least got something we can look at. Well, thank you, Roy. Thank you, Matan, for being here. This has been a very Thanks, educational. Right. I'm glad uh, I'm learning about Lifecycle and preview as well as the Docker Extension, which has been staring me in the face since I've had it installed for a couple of months. You're also on the Docker blog. Recently, I should just yeah. mention there's like, there's a, if someone just Googled you around you, there would be a lot of things they would find. So for those of you out there, however you want to learn about preview environments and IDPs, check out Lifecycle. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you, Brad. Super. Yeah. Have a good see one. everybody soon. Mm-hmm.